All right, y'all, let's get in God's Word together. Matthew 20. <laughs> Matthew 20 is our text today, and we're going to go through the whole chapter. You'll know why in just a second. Um, title of the sermon today is Last First, Last First from Matthew 20. Uh, so go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, and, um, and we're going to enjoy some time in God's Word today. Uh, Matthew 20 is a remarkable kingdom ethic chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. And we've seen multiple of those throughout the Gospel of Matthew so far, Sermon on the Mount being an enormous one of those. And this chapter is one of those without a doubt. And the reason we know is because there is a repeated phrase that happens four times in this chapter, including one from um, chapter 19, verse 30. And it's this phrase that the last will be first and the first will be last. Right? So I think most of us are familiar with that phrase. We've heard it a lot, and we're generally aware of what it is. And so I want to go ahead and define what it is up front, like here in the introduction, so that we can unpack it over these next four paragraphs that we're going to look at in Matthew 20 today. So what, what does the last will be first and the first will be last mean? Okay, so I think we, we have a slide for you, so you can take a picture or just write it down or whatever you need to do. The what of this phrase means to serve. Just bottom line, the last will be first, the first will be last. It means be a servant. It means be a servant leader. And Jesus is going to teach that in this passage. He's going to show us what that looks like in this passage. And we're going to wrestle with where are areas where I'm not or unwilling to be, and then how would you, Lord, break me through that, okay? So, so be a servant leader towards Je- Jesus's kingdom purposes. That's what he's teaching. And then the why of that is something that we don't necessarily capture as much or think about as much, and the why of it is souls. We're going to see in this passage that Jesus will be saving souls until the very end, and he is offering full forgiveness, full heaven until the very end. And so we want to be laborers in his kingdom who are servant leaders because he's leading people to himself. Now, what's really remarkable about this chapter is that Jesus, while he's teaching this important kingdom ethic, he is the illustration of this kingdom ethic. He is doing the very thing in each one of these paragraphs that he is calling us to do. He is our example. He's already done it. So we follow his servant leadership and become servant leaders ourselves. He is the example of every kingdom ethic thing that he is telling us to do. So here's the big idea as we get started today. The big idea is in Jesus's kingdom, the last will be first. In Jesus's kingdom, the last will be first. So we recognize really quickly that in this kingdom of this world, that's not how this world operates. It's like make yourself first, get there, climb the ladder, out-compete, out-perform, out-campaign, out-compare, right? But Jesus is saying in his kingdom, the last will be first. He's literally flipping the way that our fallen nature operates. And he's going to give us time to absorb it through four different means, some teaching, a story, um, a question and answer, and then a miracle, all in one chapter. So we can look at it from four different angles and see it, and by God's grace, through the power of his spirit, be convinced that this is how he wants us to live. Not convinced because we don't believe what he's saying, but convinced that we're going to take this in and obey it, all right? So let's unpack this kingdom ethic first with a story from Jesus, all right? Headline of this, verses 1 through 16, is the master who generously gives. 
And all of these points are talking about Jesus. He is these things, but also he wants us to be doing these things as well. So the master who generously gives. Before we get in, this is the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. I want to give a couple of who the characters and, and the things are, just to define it, because I'm going to read it straight through, then, and then we'll talk about it, okay? In this story, in this parable, the master is Jesus. The master is Jesus. The laborers, that's us. That's Christians, all right? The, the hours represents when you are saved, like what age you are when you're saved compared to how many years you have on the earth. And then the denarius represents, that's the pay, that represents forgiveness and heaven. And Jesus is going to clear up all of those things for the disciples and for us as he um, teaches this parable. All right, so here we go. Verse, verse 1 through 16, Matthew 20. Jesus teaching, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. And going out again about the sixth hour, and, uh, and then the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. He said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them for their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only an hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and of the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. All right, powerful parable. And I wanna unpack it with you for a little bit. We've already defined the characters and, and some of the terms in here. The, the bottom line of this is the good news of Jesus is that he calls us out of our idleness and sin. That word idle, standing around in the marketplace is used multiple times here. He calls us out of that, being purposeless, being without a home, being without a savior, being without a master. He calls us out of that into his home and into his work. That's the gospel. And he does that freely by grace. Everyone that was called hadn't earned it. They were there, Jesus called them, they said yes, and they came in. And Jesus gave them his home, he gave them purpose, and he gave them promise, all equally, all freely. None of them earned those things, right? But what happens is at the end of the day, Jesus is giving out the things that he promised he would give, and he promised everyone a denarius. And those who had worked longer, who had been saved longer, or in this, I'll shift to that application, just say, worked longer, they were thinking, this isn't fair. They got the same thing. 
And so what Jesus is teaching here is that we get tripped up by comparison. Right, just Jesus, the denarius here, and the work that we're doing isn't referring to the type of work that we do where we want to lay up our treasure in heaven and, and, and do work that one day will be rewarded like 1 Corinthians is talking about. The work that this paragraph is talking about, this parable is talking about, is the work that Jesus has done, the result of which he's giving us freely, which is forgiveness and salvation. The reason we know that is because it's applied to everyone the exact same way and in the same measure. So what Jesus is trying to help these disciples to understand is that no matter what time you are saved along the timeline of your life, whether you're saved as a a kid or on your deathbed or somewhere in between, you, by the grace of God, receive receive the exact same forgiveness and the exact same heaven no matter when you're saved. Isn't that amazing? And that's something that proves that the grace of God is a free gift. We can't earn it. We have to take all the earning out of that. We didn't earn any of that. Salvation and forgiveness are given to us freely by God. But then what we do is we enter into earn it world. And we're like, that's not fair. I worked harder. I had all these decades of working for your kingdom and they got saved on their deathbed. It would have been great if I could have just lived it up or whatever. And Jesus is like, do you realize what you have? Do you realize what you have? And so what are the things that he would have for us to understand here in this passage, in this paragraph. One is what we have, forgiveness and heaven ahead is is by grace. It is not earned, right? It's by grace, it's not earned. Another thing he would have us learn and think about is we are all often very much in, we gotta earn this, we gotta get after earning God's approval of us. But in this passage, it's already clear that he loves us. He's calling us out of idleness. He's calling us out of the marketplace into his home and into his purposes. He already loves us, right? And then we have to recognize the greatest riches that we have are already applied and we want to labor so that everyone can have those great riches as well. Laborers in his vineyard. We often think about ourselves, what we are earning and he's saying, Just think about what you have been given and get to work for my glory in this world, right? So so Jesus is, is unpacking the natural thing that we have going on inside us, which is comparison. And we're like, that's unjust. They did more, uh, I did more than them, and that's unjust. And, and we don't really talk about it much when people do more than us, right? Like, that's, that's exactly what's happening in this passage. So, so the disciples, the 12 of them, were the first to be called by Jesus, right? The first to be called by Jesus. And that means they would lead many, many people to Jesus, which is awesome. Like, that is, that is our highest calling, for sure. Le- like, leading people to Jesus. And most that they led to Jesus would put in less gospel work than they did, and most that they led to Jesus would suffer far less than they all would suffer. All of the disciples were martyred except for John, who just needed to write some New Testament inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? Right? And then Judas, who took his own life. All of them were martyred. So what Jesus is teaching them and us is to, rather than compare the gospel work or suffering levels, instead, let's get to work towards celebrating all those who are saved so that we can share, so that they share our, their full, God's full forgiveness and salvation. All right? All right, so there's, there's paragraph one. All right? One angle, the last shall be first. 
All of us have the same grace applied. All of us have the same forgiveness applied. All of us have the same heaven ahead. Let's celebrate that. Let's love that and not grumble and compare. Let's look up and receive rather than looking around and compare. Right, next. Next is the cross before the crown, verses 17 through 19. The cross before the crown, right? Jesus is the example of each of these things that he's teaching us, and it is going to be loud and clear in these next few verses, 17 through 19. So Jesus has just finished this parable. They're walking and talking this how he did discipleship, life-on-life discipleship. He says, and as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. All right, so Jesus just teaches a parable. And then he gives this teaching about what he's going to do. And this isn't the first time he said that. It's maybe the third or fourth in the Gospel of Matthew where he's describing what's about to happen. The timeline's getting tighter. He's getting closer to being crucified. He's getting closer to rising from the dead. The disciples are starting to understand it. But now they're doing something that Jesus is going to do for the last time. They are ascending the hill into Jerusalem. The very thing Jesus is going to do in several months And he's teaching them exactly what's going to happen. And he's teaching them that the cross is going to come before the crown. And he's modeling for them that to be a disciple, the cross comes before the crown. He is going to rise and he'll receive his crown that's eternal and his already again. He'll receive that again. But first, he's got to go through the cross. And he's helping the disciples see that, that, that they too can be made last so that others could go first. So now he's teaching this and he's modeling what he will do. So when they see him doing it, this occurs to them. There's that first shall be last thing. There's the be a servant thing. There's give my life for other people again. So Jesus, the eternal one, uncreated came down, took on the form of a servant, humbling himself to the point of a cross. He's mocked, he's flogged, he's crucified, and for what? For who? It's for you and for me and for anyone who would say yes when he calls us out of the idleness of the darkness of this world into his marvelous light. That's what he's done. And that's the price that he paid. And he's pulled the disciples aside on the hill and he's like, hey, this is what I'm gonna do. I know it's hard for you to understand, but this is what I'm gonna do. And he's just taught the parable of the laborers in the vineyard and they're thinking, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. That's, that's a different way of thinking. And then they see what Jesus is planning on doing. How's he, he's actually living this last shall be first mentality and lifestyle. Y'all, he bore the cross before he rose again from the dead. He knew both would happen. He knew the resurrection was coming, and we know our resurrection is coming too, which informs our ability to servant lead here in this world. If we know heaven is ahead, we know resurrection is coming because Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection, then we know heaven's coming so we can live in a certain way here and kind of give it our all and not make earth our heaven because we know it's not right? So we live for the glory of the Lord here. We make ourselves low and serve others as Jesus did. 
I think a big difficult thing for us is, and this is total human nature, but we always are trying to prevent suffering, like, right, to, to rise above it, to avoid it in every way. And, and that's common sense, and we should in any way that we can, but there's certain type of things that we got to lean into and be willing to take as Christians in this world, like standing up for the Lord and what he loves and what he says and what he cares about, and we take some hits for that, and, and that is absolutely informing the disciples here. They're thinking, look what Jesus did. Look at how he suffered because he knew resurrection was coming. Look at how he suffered because he loves other people. And so he's modeling this. The first shall be last for all of us. Y'all, we too can bear crosses of suffering in this world before the crown ahead, right? Between the cross and the crown, disciple. And he's defining what disciple is. It's why it's our year theme. He's defining that over and over and over, all right? So the master who generously gives, the cross before the crown. Here's the third one, the ransom so others are saved. The ransom so others are saved. Verses 28 through, or verses 20 through 28. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, these are the, the sons of thunder. This is James and John. These are like the bull in the china shop, you know, disciples, okay? The sons of thunder came up to him with her sons and kneeling before Jesus, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. And just real quickly, the gospel of Mark, like, doesn't include the mom in this. So if you're just going with like pressure, parents to kids, all that stuff, just remove that, right? That's not, not the point. All right, y'all got that? All right, let's keep going. Verse 22, uh, Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink, meaning suffering? And they said to him, we are able. All right, you sure, right? Verse 23, he said to them, you will drink my cup, meaning they will suffer, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it is prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called to them and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus knew comparison would be a problem for the disciples. We already talked about that one. Another problem for the disciples then and for us now is campaigning. It's campaigning for position. It's like, man, I, I, okay, all these things are applied, but man, I, I gotta get mine. I gotta be at the right, I gotta be as close to Jesus as I can and I want people to see me and be impressed by me. So, so it's like, hey, let's go ask Jesus and just see how it goes. And it's probably not the right thing to do, but just, just see just in case, right? They're, they're doing stuff like that. And then when they try this and the other 10 hear it, they're indignant, they're angry and rightfully so, but they're probably angry because they didn't come up with the idea themselves, right? Just in case Jesus had said, sure, yeah, I'm generous, Lord. You can have this seat and this seat. And they're like, man, I wish I would have asked, right? That's probably more why they were indignant, right? 12 for 12, the disciples were full of pride. And Jesus is so gentle in his response. He's like, listen, all these worldly leaders, they're all about dominance, authoritarianism. That is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is about serving. The kingdom of God is about being a servant. And then he gives who as his example. 
He gives himself as the example in verse 28. The example of being ransomed so that many can be saved. This word ransom is a word that's used not like the word redeemed is used to pay a debt. The word ransom is to pay for the freeing of a slave. Pray for, pay for the freeing of someone who is enslaved to something and that meaning sin and death. Jesus is that ransom for us. He sees us as stuck, which we were, and he made the payment so that we could be saved. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. So y'all, we think of greatness as being you know, time invested in kingdom work or we think of greatness as being um, you know, getting above suffering, or we think about greatness being like the seating chart. And Jesus is undoing all of those things, and he's saying instead, true greatness is serving others, especially the souls of others. And he gives himself as the example of this in this passage. So here's, here's the last point, and then, and then we'll do a little application, all right? The last point is the anointed one who helps the weak. The anointed one who helps the weak, verses 29 through 34. So, so what we're doing, what, what the, the gospel writer Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is doing for us is he's giving us four different angles on this one teaching, the first shall be last. One angle is a parable, one angle is teaching, one angle is question and answer, and then this last angle is, is a miracle. All right, and in each of these, Jesus is saying he is modeling this for us and he wants us to live it. Uh, for, for us to live it and apply it, all right? So, so look at this, the anointed one who helps the weak, 29 through 34. It says, and as they were, went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed them, all right? Just note that. How many people are following them? A great crowd. A great crowd is following. This was a popular moment for Jesus. In a couple months, he would not be popular. Right now, popular. Verse 30, and behold, there were two blind men sitting on the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Great theology, totally correct. The right thing to ask the Lord. All of us need to be asking those every day, all day long. Verse 31, the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. So listen, when people are telling you to stop crying out, to stop praying, just, just keep doing it. Ask the Lord for mercy. Verse 32 and stopping Jesus, stopping, uh, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And I don't think he was like, what do you want me to do for you? That's how we think Jesus might speak, like we're interrupting him. But I think he's gentle. I mean, clearly, what he's saying, what, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. These were blind men. And Jesus, in pity, just his gentleness, touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. All right, so we've seen some blind people healed in the Gospel of Matthew. We've seen people healed of lots of things in the Gospel of Matthew. So here's another healing, but why is it here? Why is it in Matthew 20? Why is it placed here by the Spirit of God so that we can see it within this thought of the first shall be last? Well, we look at verse 29. They went out to Jericho and great crowds followed him. This is a popular moment for Jesus, right? Lots of people singing his praises. We love you, Jesus. We love you. You're, you're so awesome. Your teaching is so great. And people are happy about Jesus. It, it's gonna change. But this is a moment where Jesus was celebrated. 
But in that moment of being celebrated, Jesus still noticed, Jesus the anointed one still noticed the weak and cared for them and helped them. And so Jesus is teaching the first shall be last, the last shall be first. In our moments of being celebrated, in our moments of being lauded, when we get the thing we've been working for or we get the seat at the table or whatever it is, we can be so about ourselves that we miss these moments of of opportunity to serve the weak, to care for them. And we see our Lord doing this right here. He notices the cries of other people. He cares for them. He stops. He touches them. His heart is moved with pity. He's caring for them and he heals them. That's our Lord. That's our Lord. No matter what kind of day he's having, he's serving. And that's not true of me, right? If I'm having a bad day, y'all, I'm just going to go into hiding, right? I'll, I'll like perk up to do some stuff, but like Jesus is always being a servant. Always being a servant. And this title, Son of Man, refers to how he relates to us. Because Jesus was 100% man while he was 100% God, right? Son of man and son of God. Because he's son of man, his mercy is tuned in to knowing our needs. So in all of the pomp of that moment for Jesus, he helped the weak. And so for us, as we think about this passage, we think we too are anointed ones. We are anointed by the spirit of God to, to Uh, speak and proclaim Jesus into this world and to do ministry of Jesus, gospel ministry in this world. We're literally laborers in the vineyard, as Matthew 20 is telling us. We're anointed to do this work and to help the weak. So we too, as Jesus did this, we too do it ourselves. And let me just add one more passage, all right? Y'all with me on that? I'll just tell you the story. Acts chapter three, Peter and John, two of the disciples who are here in Matthew 20, they're going, traveling into the city, and these guys are super celebrated at this moment. They can, they're healing people. Peter just preached the best sermon in the history of sermons other than, other than the ones given by Jesus. 3,000 people are saved. Peter could have been like, I'm the best preacher ever. Instead, he's like, Jesus is awesome, right? And so they're going into town and they come to this gate and there's this paralytic man who's laying there and Peter and John are celebrated. They're loved. They're they're lauded by everyone. And what do they do? They stop and they heal a paralytic man. They do exactly what Jesus did at the end of Matthew 20. They're thinking, this isn't about me. This isn't about my glory. This is about being a servant leader and caring for those around me. And so as Jesus is slowly working with the disciples, they're experiencing life change. They're being transformed from wanting to be first themselves to making themselves last so that others can be first. They've been transformed to that. We see that happening in the life of Peter and John in that just one example. And so as we close, I want to, I want to, ask several questions and give some compare contrast because that's really a lot of what's been happening in Matthew 20, so so it's fitting. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. It, It goes against all of our fallen human system factory defaults, right? Because we're thinking like, I gotta be first, I gotta have this, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get the lead up, whatever, right? We're filling in the blank. 
So we're comparing our works, we're comparing our, our time invested, we're trying to rise above suffering, we're campaigning for a seed, or when we're being celebrated, we're definitely not being servants, because like, finally, I grew out of being a servant, now people can serve me. That's not kingdom ethic. So all of those things are, are system default, and Jesus is changing all of that toward his kingdom ethic, and he's saying, be servant leaders like he is. And why? It's because he's saving souls to the very end. If you were saved when you were six and you're going to live till you're 96, that means you have 90 years to lead people to Jesus. And maybe you lead someone to Jesus who's also 96 and they have one minute saved. They get the same forgiveness and the same salvation, the same heaven. And that's amazing. Grace is free. It's given. And we, and Jesus is saving souls until the very end. So we want to be servant leaders like him, and we want to be about souls saved like he is. So while here, we work toward forgiveness in heaven for others, and we know that suffering here is normal. So here are just some con contrasts, okay? You have been forgiven, and you have heaven ahead. All of that is unearned. It's unearned. So no more comparison, just serve. Just see that all of us share forgiveness and we share heaven ahead. So just serve together, right? Let's just serve together. Next is we can do hard things knowing that heaven ahead is ahead. If we really think heaven is guaranteed for me and nothing can take that away, Romans 8, right? Jesus has given it that I'm gonna live in this world like this isn't heaven and I'm gonna live that other people can be in heaven. And then another one is we already have a seat at the table. We already have a seat at the table and these disciples are like, I want that seat. It's kind of comical really. Like dudes, you're, you're the 12, right? Like you are literally at the last supper table with Jesus and you're like, I want the closer seat. It just illustrates how messed up we are. And he's unwinding all of that in them. He's unwinding all of that in us. And the way he unwinds it is by helping us to see we already are loved. We're already at the table. We're already brought out of darkness and into light. We're already brought into his house. We're already given work in his vineyard. We have purpose now. We have love now from our creator. We have all of these things. We have heaven ahead. We already have a seat at the table. So just serve Serve others who are already at the table. Serve one another. Serve others in our community. Love others, right? Bring others to that table. And then the last one is that your eyes were opened. So serve so others' eyes might be opened too. Your eyes were opened, so serve that others' eyes might be opened too. All right, so, so three questions to close and then I'll pray. Have you received these gifts of forgiveness in heaven from Jesus? Have you received them? The only thing in that parable that we have to do on the front end is say yes. Jesus calls, about, calls us out of idleness, we say yes. Have you received that? Have you received his forgiveness? Have you placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul? Have you done that? And if you haven't, do it today. Do it today. And he'll save you. He'll forgive your sins and heaven will be ahead. Second question, do you see that Jesus was first, he made himself last, died on the cross, and then became first to rise from the dead so that we too can one day rise? 
Do you see that? And it's just so awesome. He was first, makes himself last, first to rise that we too can rise. And then the last question. And this is kind of a commitment question. Will you, will we generously work within Jesus' vineyard? Will we generously work within Jesus' vineyard knowing that Jesus is saving souls until the very end? And will we rejoice when people are saved no matter when they're saved and the timeline of their life? Just thankful that we could be a part of any ministry that Jesus uses toward the salvation of others. Will we? And after we read this passage, we're like, man, this is, this is it. This is kingdom ethic. This is it. And, and Jesus has walked with us and the disciples for this long. We're in Matthew 20 now of 28 chapters. And this is when he gives it because he knows it's big. He knows it changes. He knows it reverses the way that we think. But will we be servant leaders? Will we be servant leaders? Because souls, there's still souls to be saved. Will we be servant leaders? Right? And y'all, this church, by God's grace, by the power of his spirit's transformation, this church is chuck full of servant leaders already. So I'm excited about what the Spirit of God's going to do with this passage to take that to the next level, right? Let's be servant leaders in his vineyard, knowing we're in his house, at his table, loved forever, and heaven is ahead. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this passage and um, for your Holy Spirit who arranges this so that we can see it, so that we can capture that the first shall be last, the last shall be first is the subject, and we can see it from four angles. We thank you for the helpfulness of that, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that each of us will receive it, that we'll understand this is your kingdom ethic. This is actually your character that you are giving to us to become our kingdom ethic, which means we gotta leave the ethics of the kingdoms of this world and the kingdoms of self, and we gotta enter into this one. And that takes a lot of effort for us, and we thank you that your effort, that our effort is strengthened by the power of your spirit to change our lives, and we just ask for it. We need the power of your spirit. We need one another. We need accountability. We need help. We need the inspiration of this passage and Jesus, who you are for us, to help us experience this transformation ourselves. I thank you, Lord for all the amazing people who are already servant leaders in this church. It's wonderful what you've done. Glory to you. And we pray that all of us will get even lower in this world so that you can be lifted high, so that others can know you, and that we would celebrate when others are saved, whether it's a kid or someone on their deathbed. We're so thankful when souls are saved and to be even the smallest part of that is the greatest privilege of our lives. Lord, we love you. Anyone here today unsaved, save them now, Lord. Allow them to place their faith in you for the forgiveness of their sins, knowing you're the forgiver. And Lord, we celebrate their salvations. We celebrate their conversions and we celebrate the things that we share. All the same, all unearned, all grace. So help us get to work, Lord, in your kingdom for your kingdom purposes as servants in Jesus' name.